Hello, everyone. This is Deepa Iyer, and you're listening to the Solidarity Is This podcast. Here, we bring you ideas and practices and narratives from people who are engaging in the complex and messy practice of transformative solidarity. While most of the episodes in our podcast focus on the United States, there are times when we're lucky enough to speak with people in other parts of the world. That is the case with this month's podcast, in which you'll hear from Jude Dibia and Reina Belady, who live and work in the city of Malmo in Sweden. I had the good fortune of meeting Jude and Reina during a trip I took to Sweden this summer to speak about the social change ecosystem framework. Before we get into the conversation with them, let me give you a little bit of context. So Malmo is the third largest city in Sweden. It's a harbor town and a cultural hub. In fact, more than half of Malmo's population is foreign born, with people coming from Iraq, Denmark, Poland, Syria, and the former Yugoslavia, to name a few. In fact, Malmo includes people from 179 different nationalities who speak more than 150 different languages. You can really sense this feeling palpably, the diversity in the city as you're walking through the streets there. This is a place where people prefer to settle because of the city's commitment to inclusion and free expression. And that's what we'll be talking about in this month's podcast. So let me introduce you to Jude and Reina. Jude Dibia is an author and equal rights activist from Nigeria. And in our conversation, you'll hear how he ended up at the David Isak Library in Malmo. This library is really special. It's a collaboration between the Malmo City Archives, the Malmo City Library, Swedish Pen, and the International Cities of Refuge Network, or ICORN. At this library, you can find books that have been banned, burned, or censored. Books written by authors who've been silenced, threatened, or forced into exile because of their words. As we record this podcast, we're only a few weeks from the attack on author Salman Rushdie, which Jude will refer to in our interview. Joining Jude is Reina Baledi. Reina works in the Department of Culture for the city of Mama and has a background in community organizing. She works on efforts to increase inclusion and equity in the city through the lens of culture. Welcome to the podcast, Jude and Reina. Thanks for being here. Thanks a lot Thank for, having for having us. So I'm going to go ahead and get started by asking you both a question that I often ask. Tell us about your point of entry. Hey, um, thanks very much. I'm sure a lot of your audience or your guests would have said they kind of fell into what it is that they're doing. And, and I can also say that I'm originally from Nigeria. And uh, while I lived in Nigeria, I am a published writer. And um, a lot of my work centered on the rights of the LGBTQ community. In 2014, I believe, a law was passed criminalizing the whole LGBTQ community in Nigeria. And at the time, I kept thinking I'm kind of like a known face, um, a known face, a known voice. My books are widely used as a reference material. I was getting death threats about now that um, this law is passed, um, 
you better be careful, you know, all those subtle hints. So at the time I left the country, I, I just couldn't handle that anymore. I, I, I was in the US for a year and then I moved to Sweden. And so I came into Sweden on a kind of um, residency program for persecuted writers and artists. It was a two year kind of um, scholarship where you get to be the artist for the city itself and get engaged with the culture and all of that. In the last couple of years, I've been more or less helping a lot of um, writers, filmmakers, musicians pass through Malmo and experience the same two-year residency program and hopefully launching them into a new life where they can actually practice their art. Thank you so much, Jude, for sharing that. And I think it is so powerful, right, how your trajectory led you from Nigeria to Malmo. So, Reina, let me turn to you. How did you get to where you are now? What was your point of entry? My parents, they came from Iran uh, to Malmö in the 80s. So, uh, my background is from Iran. And uh, now they came to Sweden in the 80s and we grew up in, a, should we call it, segregated area. Mostly uh, economic segregation. As a teenager, I had to move in the city and that was when I realized uh, the differences so socially economically so, so then I noticed that something was off in the city something um, people were treated differently in the city and then I started to study sociology and racial studies or I entered through that point of view and uh, started to organize myself in the civil society mostly uh, in different organizations SQE also in uh, an anti-racist, Sweden's only anti-racist uh, newspaper, uh, MANA. So uh, that's how I entered this position where I am now in the city of Malmö, in the culture department, when I w- where I work with uh, anti-racist initiatives. Thank you so much, Reina. You know, I can't help but reflect, as both of you shared your experiences, how you came from somewhere else and you found a home in Malmo, Sweden, of all places. Let's dive in a little bit more deeply into both of the pieces of work that you both do for the city of Malmo. We have seen here in the United States, the banning of books. We have seen in other parts of the world, from India to parts of Africa to Europe, the repression of cultural expression, even the imprisonment of writers and artists. So, I'm wondering if you can place the work that you're doing at um, the David Isak Library in that bigger context. Why is it so important in this moment that you all are doing the work that you're doing? I do appreciate the question and I can also relate to, to the issues being raised. A few weeks ago, I think it was Samuel Rushdie that was attacked on stage. And Samuel Rushdie in Sweden is also a very big figure because he was one of the first refuge writers to actually move here. Having said that, though, the David Isaac Library, when we started, we were looking at all the, um, all the displaced authors and journalists and media personnel all over the world that were looking for safe havens in different countries. We realized also that um, a lot of texts were being lost. And the fact that 
not every writer is as fortunate as the rest. So we talk about banning of books that are maybe books that can be recognized globally, i.e. Tony Morrison's novels or Samuel Rushdie's novels. What about books by people that are in different parts of the world that don't write primarily in English? And so the initiative started to create a library that specializes in just banned books. And this could be books that were banned before, but no longer banned. And when we started, that was the more or less the backbone for it. And then we branched out to look at how do we also preserve things like um, music and film. So when you come to the library, you get to see the different sections and it's well divided. You can go to it through language or through the genre and, and things like that. And we think it is quite important to preserve those voices. And I think it makes it so much more easier for the community and the society here to feel like they're part of the library. And that's one of the things that I think I was so, to be honest, inspired by and surprised by, which is, and I want to turn to you, Reina, which is really how the city is, you know, sponsoring and partnering and funding, right? A lot of this work, both in terms of the library that we just heard about, but also in terms of the anti-racism initiatives that Reina, you and your colleagues are working on. Why do you think it's so important for the city of Malmo to be hosting these efforts? What kind of message does that send to the rest of Sweden? Just for some context, uh, Malmö is a pretty small city, I would say. Uh, it's the la- uh, third largest city in Sweden with a population of approximately 350,000 inhabitants. Uh, important to say that uh, we have uh, 184 different countries represented uh, and astonishing diversity of 170 languages spoken. Some say that almost half of Malmö's population is either foreign-born or have at least one parent that is foreign-born. But at the same time, uh, Malmö has the uh, poorest population among Swedish cities and uh, is in fact the only uh, Swedish city with a population that is getting poorer uh, by the year. And uh, in in Sweden, we we have uh, policies and uh, are working to prevent this and to, to, to work against racism. But when it comes to Islamophobia and Afrophobia, the city did a survey and uh, did some research and uh, understood that there's very little being done uh, against Islamophobia and Afrophobia, even though it's uh, some of the biggest racisms uh, facing uh, Malmö's inhabitants. So the initiative comes from the politicians, of course, but even before that, we have had civil society uh, organizations claiming this for several years, which I have to mention also. So, so even though it's a political decision, it's, uh, it's uh, influenced by uh, activists and civil society organizations uh, pushing for this. But what's very um, special with the assignment that I have is that we also work with culture. So we combine anti-racism and culture. So, so that is uh, to specify uh, my, my work here at the culture department uh, in Malmö. I think it's so important that you drew that link about how um, oftentimes it's social movements and NGOs that are pushing government to do anything in the first place. And I think that's so important to mention that as part of the origin story for what's happening in Malmo. 
Can you share a little bit about the programming that you all undertake um, through the culture department? I can tell you a bit about one of the, uh, if you ask me, the most important and interesting um, programs that, that we are working with currently. I'm working with an initiative that is from the beginning uh, raised by uh, a civil society that uh, claimed that the city has to acknowledge the fact that we had a serial killer loose for 10 years in Malmö who uh, killed uh, and shot and terrorized uh, people of color. And when, the, when, when this happened in 2003, between 2003 and 2010, uh, the, the story from the city and the police was that it's probably gang-related. It took uh, five or six years until they realized that, no, this is racially motivated. What this did was to create a crack in the city. And uh, this initiative, uh, this group, they, they, they wanted the city to, to do something. They asked for an anti-racist monument, something that can acknowledge what happened, something that can acknowledge the people of Malmö as people that are grievable, people that uh, deserve actions of solidarity, <laughs> uh, if we can borrow the title of uh, this uh, podcast. In one way or another, the, this initiative uh, ended up at the culture department where I work. So we, we uh, started to initiate conversation with this group and we have uh, together, uh, we are now working together to create this monument. Not only that, but also create a program, uh, lectures, uh, talks, public uh, exhibitions to start a conversation in the city that will culminate in the monument. Uh, so that, that is one of the things uh, that we work with at the moment that I'm uh, really proud of. You know, thank you for sharing what you explained to us about the racial terror that, you know, people in Malmo faced as a result of the serial killer you mentioned and also the importance of the acknowledgement, bearing witness, memory and preservation that you all are working on. I spent very little time in Sweden, but I will say that the time I spent in Malmo was the first time in my time in Sweden where I felt like I was part of something that I could connect to people who, you know, sort of look like me or who had some similar backgrounds and experiences. And that's clearly, as you already mentioned, Reina, because of the demographics of the city in terms of it being a cultural hub in terms of it being a safe haven for refugees, immigrants, migrants. You know, I'm curious if you could share, you know, what you think of the racial dynamics, both in terms of the possibilities for connection and solidarity, um, but also, you know, some of the drivers and challenges that tear people apart. Speaking of um, possibilities, Malmö is a great city uh, because Malmö is the city in, in Sweden where uh, a lot of change happens historically when it comes to the labor movement, the LGBTQ movement, when it comes to the anti-racist movement. Malmö is a city known for its anti-racist uh, initiatives and or, uh, organizing and organizations and, and even the city of Malmö is known for its anti-racist uh, initiatives that are in, in many ways uh, unique. I would say that even though there is 
uh, a history and a present of racism in Malmö, in Sweden, uh, I, I would say that if, if there's uh, any city in, in Sweden that would uh, be, the, be the brightest uh, in this question, it would be, uh, it would be Malmö. At the moment, I'm working a lot against Islamophobia. I'm in the middle of putting together a full-day seminar on the topic, actually. Uh, we have these monthly meetings with uh, civil society organizations, with mosques, with uh, people working for the municipality, uh, with academia, discussing these questions and together formulating answers, uh, not only questions, which I think is important. I think we, we, we have taken this first step And that is, I think, what is needed to be done, at least when it comes to the issue of Islamophobia. What I would recommend everybody, to, to all the cities to do, is actually sit down and recognize and discuss the matter uh, from the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's one of the things that I hope that listeners are getting out of this conversation, is that when cities and municipalities and governments actually take stock of what is happening and, as you say, acknowledge the problems and then um, work with civil society and um, other partners to identify solutions, that's really the way we get past some of these barriers and these dynamics. A lot of times, though, I find that cities, this is a U.S. perspective, there's a lot of lip service, there's a lot of use of words like diversity and equity, especially here. but When you look at the statistics, when you look at the data, when you look at, you know, how the city's programs and services are allocated, they don't actually necessarily serve or get to the people who need them the most. One of the things that I'm inspired by what you all are doing is that you are not just saying the words, you know, you're actually doing the programs, whether it's the the program you mentioned or the monument, whether it's the library, an actual edifice, a structure, you know, a building, um, you all are actually making it happen. And I find that to be extremely inspiring. So to close, let me go to you um, first, Jude, and then we'll end with Reina. This is a podcast on solidarity, as you both know. And so I'm curious how each of you thinks your work is furthering and advancing solidarity. So Jude, you know, in terms of the uplifting of um, free expression, being a safe haven, being a city of refuge, how is that actually furthering solidarity and connection? So what we do is to also raise awareness that not all is bad and things are not always all equal. We have series of um, what we call visits. So we, we start young and I think it's important to tap into the younger generation because they are the future it's so important to start at that age and get them to question society get them to confront difficult decisions and questions so that they can also see that they play a role in society and so when you have um this kind of challenging situations and you pose that to the kids you'd be amazed at the kind of solutions that they come up with themselves when we discuss with them and give them exercises to do. So I think we build a solidarity in that form. We also touch on other sensitive issues, the LGBTQ questions, equity in society. How do we you know, uplift ourselves when things are going bad? I think it's, it's slowly but surely we're getting there. 
Definitely. And yes, I think that's so true to give children an understanding of these issues early. I think sometimes we don't want to bring up these topics with young uh, minds, but they know so much more than we give them credit for, and they can actually tackle a lot of this. So it's wonderful to hear that you all start so young. Reina, what about you? How do you see solidarity being built between white people and you know, minority communities in Malmo or Sweden? I work with culture, right? Uh, uh, combining culture uh, and uh, anti-racism. And um, I would say a lot of uh, white folks in, in Malmö, uh, in Sweden, are acting in solidarity with uh, people of color uh, many times. Not always. That's why we have some deep issues, uh, but, but many times because working with culture you can um, you can compensate you can strengthen some norms uh, in the society you can get to people's uh, hearts uh, not only minds and you can plant a seed uh, that will grow by itself later i love what you also said reina that culture is the entry point right where it might be more possible to take some of the hard truths for people and to then find a way to be in solidarity, find a way to, as um, Jude mentioned, reclaim that shared humanity. Uh, So really appreciate both of you talking about culture, art, free expression um, as ways of building solidarity. And I feel like I could talk to you for hours, but is there anything else that you want to share that we haven't discussed Oh, I think we've covered quite a bit, but I would encourage your listeners to link up to the ICON website. It's icorn.org and read up about what we do as well, because it's the big organization that feeds into the sanctuary cities. And also maybe you can visit the Malmosta website as well and see the work that I do, the work that Reina does as well. There's an English translation part there, so it's not all in Swedish. Absolutely. We'll link to those as well. And more than visiting the websites, if you get to Sweden or um, Europe, you really have to visit Malmo because, as I said, it's a place that I hope to visit again. It's just a remarkable place just in terms of community culture, but also the work that's happening there, which I think we can all replicate in our own places. So thank you to both of you for joining me. Really appreciate it. Thank you, thank you so for much. having us. I'm so grateful to my guests, Judibia and Reina Baledi for joining me on Solidarity Is This, all the way from Malmö, Sweden. And I hope that you enjoyed our conversation. Please make sure to visit our episode notes for this podcast. You can find it on solidarityis.org or buildingmovement.org where you'll find links and other information in order to expand your understanding of what is happening in the city of Malma. I also wanted to share a couple of announcements as well. First, I hope that folks will check out a resource that we put out recently at Solidarity Is and Building Movement Project. It's called the Ecosystem of Wellbeing, and it's a resource that might be useful as you think about how to create communities of care to move through times of challenge and overwhelm in the social change work that you do. And really want to shout out my colleague, Wing T. Tran Myra, who 
shepherded this resource and also want to thank our former BMP teammates, Anna Castro, Shelby House, Kitty Hu, and Catherine Foley, who really helped us make this resource possible. Finally, I want to make a personal announcement that I'm super excited about. Some of you have been following, sharing, and using the social change ecosystem framework or the social change map that I developed and put out a number of years ago. And I'm so excited to share that I'm going to have a book coming out about how folks as individuals, organizations, and networks can utilize this framework to advance social change, solidarity, equity, and justice. The book is called Social Change Now, A Guide for Reflection and Connection. It's being published by the Thick Press, and it will be available in mid-September for pre-orders. So please make sure to follow my social media. I'm on Twitter at DVIR, on Instagram at Iyer, or you can reach out to me at The Building Movement Project. So with that, I want to thank you all for joining us on another episode of Solidarity Is This. Please subscribe and share this podcast with your networks. I hope that everyone stays safe and healthy and that you care for yourselves and your ecosystems. And I will see you on the next episode of Solidarity Is This. Thank you. Thank you.